Hello and welcome to the Legendary Women Podcast, where we think every woman deserves to be legendary. So we highlight women who do amazing, meaningful, important, kind, or otherwise, you might say, legendary things. I'm April Walsh. And I'm Margaret Bates. On this podcast, we're having a conversation with Morgan Glennon. She writes for Buddy TV. She's the co-host of Supergirl Radio and the Legends of Tomorrow podcast. And anything else you want to tell us, Morgan? I think that's it. Thank you so much for having me. So I guess the first thing we're just sort of looking at as we're transitioning out of what's been in the 2016 TV season, we just had a lot of the upfronts and a lot of the announcements of what got canceled and renewed and seen a lot of the patterns and how people frankly got written off of shows or how shows got canceled this uh, spring. So we're sort of just looking at what 2016 brought us and where we're going in the fall of 2016 with different women. First thing I think everybody sort of is aware of is especially a lot of the coverage that came out in not just the Mary Sue, but in other avenues like Salon, looking at sort of the rash of deaths of queer women, as well as minority women characters in different genre dramas and even some comedies as well, because they had it in uh, CW's Jane the Virgin as well. So that's been sort of an interesting pattern. Did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I actually I actually wrote an article for Buddy TV, and the title was, Why is TV losing so many female characters? It was one of those things where I've had kind of a, a busy couple months, and when the death happened on the 100. I was thinking about writing an article, but I was like, no, 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 you're busy. Like, you don't have time for this. And then the death happened on Sleepy Hollow. And I was like, no, no, no. I know that these things keep seemingly piling up, but you don't have time to write something. And then they announced that they were going to maybe do another season of Castle without Beckett. It was almost like I was like, fine television season. I will write about this. You have broken my spirit. It was one thing after the other. It was almost as if every week a female character was being killed off or a queer character was being killed off or, you know, a character of color was being killed off. It's just been like building and building all season. It was a it, it's it's been a, like a crazy run of uh, of female characters kind of disappearing from the TV. A lot of disposable women. Mm hmm. And to me, it feels like there's a lot to, like, deconstruct here, because I feel like sometimes it is the narrative of barrier our gaze, where it's just easier to apparently write off the queer women, especially because you don't see it as much with the queer male characters, but you see it, I think they had over a dozen across shows like uh, The Magicians and Empire, and the CW had three separate shows to do it with Jane the Virgin, The 100, and then also a dual suicide on... The original, so within like a month, no, sorry, the Vampire Diaries, within a the month they yeah. had like four queer women characters had been either murdered or committed suicide on their network. And to me it was like, in that particular regard, maybe the writers, it's the it's staff, it's a mix of, there aren't a lot of queer women who are behind the scenes going, wait a minute, do you notice this pattern? Because to me the one that was the most just jaw-dropping was that nobody at the CW's helm was going, we keep having this same narrative, do you know what it looks like in the course of like three weeks? Yeah, it was it was crazy, and I and I would definitely recommend there is an article uh, re recently on Auto Straddle uh, by Heather Hogan, and it's it's a great it's great as far as I can say. I mean, I don't know if I want to say great. It's a very sad article, and it basically it's like a it's a compiled chart of like the the most likely fates for a lesbian and bisexual television characters and i'm just looking at sort of like the the pull down but like from 1976 until today they had 31 percent of all lesbian and bisexual characters ended up dead 
and then 38% were either written off or they were just guest characters. The happy that characters that got a happy ending at the end of their show was 10%. So it's obviously this is something that happens over and over and over again. It's not just like the it's not just say Lexa being killed off of the 100 or I think it was Rose was the character mm -hmm. on Jane the Virgin. It, it's not just these individual characters. It's a cumulative effect of people seeing characters like them on television and then just seeing them just get killed off over and over and over again. And we don't know for sure about uh, Beckett on Castle. I, From what I hear, they filmed two different endings. And yeah. And they're going to go with one. So I'm assuming now that it's going to be the series finale. <laughs> yes. I, I would be very surprised if they were like, no, let's just still kill her off in the series finale. <laughs> like, that would be a level of harsh that I don't think that Castle has really earned. <laughs> that would be really malicious. And the, yeah. the worst part is, I don't know if it's so much malicious intent, what these people are doing. I think a lot of it is just ignorance. Let's say if you're a man, a straight white man, you're writing a show, the the people you're going to give the most nuance are the people that are like you. You might not know. That. I feel like to an extent I'm willing to say that or see that in some shows weren't thinking of that as a pattern because I don't think they all – I don't feel like anybody got together in a cabal and said let's kill all the queer women characters this spring. I think it's a mix of the trope of it's easy to elicit sort of the sympathy and forward the straight characters' journeys. I think it's money. You If you have a – character you're going to write off it's going to be one you can't necessarily tease love triangles with with the main male lead um i think though in the 100s case that is it is it jason rothberg is that his name i can't remember his last name yeah i think <laughs> that he knew because there are a lot of fans saying you know don't make oh, this clear and they were like please don't kill her off like this please we know that lexa i think she got another show i think she's on the mm -hmm. fear of the walking dead and they're like, please just don't write her off like this. And they really strung them out and said, you know, we're thinking, you know, they really on Twitter said and did things that made people believe that she might you know, like just, you know, a walk off into the sunset or something, but she wouldn't be frankly Tara McClade and just shot by a stray bullet minutes after sex, which is offensive and awful 15 Poor years Tara. ago. Sorry. Yeah. About 15 years ago. So I don't know why it's better now. Yeah. I remember while I was watching the show, I, I kept on thinking, I think they're going to kill her off. But then I would see so much of the stuff on social media where it did seem like the crew of the cast and the crew and the people behind the scenes of the show were just, I mean, I wasn't the only one who was picking up on the fact that probably she was going to get killed off like other uh, other fans were. And they would say, you know, we know you're going to kill off Lexa or please don't kill off Lexa. And it did seem like what was coming out of the show was, no, we're not going to do that. We know that's harmful. So when it happened and the way it happened, which was, I mean, admittedly terrible, probably the worst way that they could have done it. Uh, I was, I just remember being surprised, like, oh, I thought that they knew better than this. I think that was where the, the hurt came from for a lot of people who are watching the show, because I do feel like the show sort of went out of its way to say, no, no, we're allies. We understand where you're coming from and we're not going to hurt you. And then they basically killed off this queer women character that they knew was so important to so many of their viewers in what was like one of the worst and laziest ways I've seen on television in like such a long time. About 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still not over you, Tara. It's going to be fine. No, it's not. Worse than Tara for me was Jenny Calendar. That was the absolute fridge death. Oh, you know, so rough. It really was. And it was, it did make waves in the group. I know that the Angelus character had more reason to kill her than just fridging her for angst and everything. But I, I always found that to be 
the most hard death on the audience, on the characters in a lot of ways, because it was just so mean. <laughs> yeah, that was, I think, one of the most upsetting deaths I've still seen on television. I, I mean, I still, like, just just you mentioning that gives me, like, oh, God, no, Giles. Like, it was just such an upsetting <laughs> death. And you're right. I mean, it, it was maybe unnecessarily upsetting. <laughs> And then again, maybe that's one of the reasons it was effective on the show, because you weren't expecting that at the time, even though Buffy had some violence and some dark elements, that was just especially dark, because they set it up to be this romantic moment, and then you know what it really is, and it's it's just even worse, and it's hard for, it's hard for Giles, it was hard on the group, it split them apart in a lot of ways afterwards. I would say that would be, let's say, a fridge death done right, because it wasn't just about Giles, it was... She was part of the entire dynamic. And I would say that, like, within the within the narrative of that season, you need it to get that character to do something so evil that they would sort of turn on him and be like, oh, he's not redeemable now. And so I think that was, was sort of the narrative decision behind that death. And it was it was probably like I like I said, it's like one of the one of the ones that TV deaths that has really stuck with me, like just mentioning it. And I'm like back to watching that episode, like crying. So, I mean, I think it was effectively done if and nothing else. It could have been Joyce too. And that would have been like a hundred times worth. I, well, I, they're gonna st- save I still that be for, you for season five. So you feel like, Oh my gosh, I just stared at her body the entire time. And going back to the 100, I think that there's just been maybe this disconnect, especially with the showrunners, at least some of the showrunners and what fans, especially marginalized fans or fans of minority groups feel in it as well because I think that it wasn't just Lex's death which was horrible but it was also I think has the character's name Lincoln or is it the actor's Lincoln, name? yeah that was yeah because they had him like chained up and he was on his knees and it was a man of color who gets shot like in the face or like shot when he's like restrained and I'm like considering the current climate and all the instances of police brutality and black i mean things don't happen in a vacuum just because they're set in a futuristic dystopia so having those kind of images when there are certain civil rights issues going up both within the lgbt and um the black communities it just was so it wasn't necessarily needed and it was very irresponsible and and then when you, and then when you hear that it was essentially done because there was some backstage um issues because the actor who played Lincoln has basically come out and said that he was bullied on the show, that he was not treated, treated right, that his, um, his screen time was decreased to such a degree. So he wanted to leave the show, even though he enjoyed working on it and he, uh, he liked his character. He was not getting any, any actual work done because he was, his character was kind of never on the show. I, I believe the timeline is he got the job on American Gods, which is going to be on Stars, uh, I think next year, they wrote him out like immediately. Like he was, his character was supposed to make it until the end of the season before getting written out. Uh, and then he said he just got the pages for that episode and all of a sudden it had changed and he, his character was getting shot in the head. So, I mean, it's, it's not only like the optics of it when you're watching the episode and going like, I don't know that this is okay. It's also then hearing the behind the scenes stuff, which is kind of equally as terrible. Like, I don't know what has happened on the 100th this season. It, it, it feels like watching a show implode upon itself. Which I don't I'm know that I've with. ever experienced. I, I very not rarely, like this. yeah, like watching TV, I very rarely experienced 
what is like seemingly on the 100th this season is like the perfect storm of like weird behind the scenes stuff, like fan anger, the story of the season not making like a whole lot of sense. Like it's it's a lot of stuff is converging on that poor show at one time. And I feel like the CW, if it hadn't renewed every show, because I guess they just need to fill slots, but they've renewed every show in their lineup really early. But at the same time, I just I can't see that with the same showrunner in place, the lead showrunner, Rothberg, uh, up in place there, that it's going to change much. People are going to have faith in it again because, I mean, I also heard that, uh, I believe it was either iTunes, I think it was iTunes, so that, you know, if you had a season pass to season, is this the third season for them? Yeah. For this current season, after the Lexa, the episode in which Lexa was murdered, they said, if you just can't watch the rest of the show, we're going to refund you the last of the oh season. You don't God. have to keep buying the end of the season because the exodus from the show was that severe and the feelings of hurt justifiably were that both vocal and both heartfelt. And they're saying, you know, we're not going to charge you for the end of the season because you're not going to watch this. So I can't imagine what their ratings are going to look like next year. And to considering the kind of pettiness or pain or the way they've written characters out. The last season, my friend got me into the show. She was like, you should watch the show. And I caught up on the whole first season and then caught up on the whole second season. was so excited. Like last year I went to Comic-Con and got to meet some of the people on the show. And I was like so hyped. That was the press room I was the most hyped for. And then this season comes along and like my enthusiasm has gone from the ceiling to the floor. It's just, it's so depressing. I've been Just there. for me on a personal level. Yeah, I don't see how they can ever write themselves back into a point where people are going to really want to watch it or trust it. Like I don't see how it would survive more than next year just because it got renewed because the CW just needed a slot filler, really. And, I mean, the the problem with the 100 is not just what's going on with Lexa and, and like, killing off queer characters, characters of color, which is terrible, but just from a storytelling perspective, this season hasn't been all that strong. So, I mean, I feel like if you're going to court controversy like this, you should at least have your ducks in a row almost like you should be telling a good compelling story and the story this season has been all over the place so i mean they can't even like save themselves on that on that aspect well actually the one thing that also that maybe good might come out of the 100 is that there has been going around the lexa pledge if you'd heard of that where some of um yeah directors and producers on some shows in canada including um, Saving Hope and um, Rookie Blue said, you know, we're going to work really hard. And I think they got 16 other show runners and directors to say we're not going to just arbitrarily kill off queer characters, and especially queer women characters, which I know I got some pushback because then people said, is this going to limit our creativity? And I don't say never kill a queer woman character, but if yeah. only 10% of your storylines are ending where the woman who's represented even has a chance at a happy ending and you have so many queer women deaths where it basically came almost this horrible watch for when's the next one coming up, and it's almost like a running joke because of the horror of it, where you're just like, which one's next? Let's get our bingo cards out. Then maybe you're just telling a very repetitive story. And I think what that comes from is where we see diversity on TV. So as TV has gotten more diverse, we're seeing more queer characters, we're seeing more you know, queer women characters and uh, characters of color, but they're not headlining the show. They're not the star of the show. And the star of the show, as everybody knows from watching television, is safe. You know, unless unless you're, like, on Game of Thrones, then you're in some danger. I mean, but, uh, but um, so if you're on most shows, if you're the main character, you are to a certain extent safe. 
But that's not where we're seeing queer characters or characters of color or even a lot of women characters. They're not the main characters. They're the supporting characters because that's where the diversity can be brought in without, you know, I, I guess being too female or too scary to uh, like advertisers. Those are the characters who are often at risk when it comes time to kill somebody. So it's not even that it's specifically, it's this vast conspiracy that, oh, we're going to kill off all the queer women characters or we're going to kill off all the characters of color. It's just when it comes time to kill off a character, they're, they're in this pool of expendable characters that are in line to get killed off. They're very rarely the, the lead of a show or they're very rarely in the position where they can't be killed off. And I think that's what kind of has to change. And that was what was interesting to me about Sleepy Hollow, which I have not watched. Like, I knew people loved it. But the way I thought it was conceived was basically Abby Miller's – or Abby Mills' character was, like, the skull – it was, like, the scully to the Mulder, who was Ichabod Crane, basically. She was going to be the other investigative partner, the Bones, the the Beckett, like, the other half. So I thought she's the lead, and obviously for a while they treated her that way. And then this season, oh, my goodness – and it, yeah, that's why it's so disheartening too. It's like you think that because she is the the female lead, and like the female lead of a show that is like like you said, the Scully and the Mulder kind of thing, where it's a man and a woman, and they're the leads. You would think that she would be safe, and she should be safe. And yet, I would, it's interesting. I read a really good write up of the entire timeline of this on a uh, Vulture, I believe. Mm-hmm. I'll link to it. I'll link to it for anybody listening. Um, but they had a really good write up of sort of the progression like season one was great everybody's really excited season two they start um under using her phasing her out and then they get rid of orlando jones which i think was the stupidest thing they could have done i think he made that show live on social media by interacting with the fans and being like an ambassador for the show you know what i mean i had such nerd pride too I remember when it happened, I was puzzled. I was puzzled that they would do that just from a, like an economic and PR standpoint. If you have one actor on the show who everybody loves, who is really pushing the show on social media and getting people engaged, I don't know why you would phase that actor out to where he had almost no screen time and then get rid of him. Like they phased him out. Almost, it was like season one, he was a very important character. Season two, he was almost not even in the show, and then he was gone. It's like on Game of Thrones, if they thought, you know, everyone's really annoyed by Varys. Let's get rid of him. You know, because he's kind of a fan favorite. People look forward to seeing him. Yeah. You can use him sparingly if you want to, you know, while still making him an integral part of the story and keeping him as sort of the ambassador. But, I don't I don't know if Game of Thrones has as many active social media people. The Brits are not as much about social media as we Americans are. But. Yeah, and and also I would say that Game of Thrones uh doesn't need social media um inter- like they don't need the push. They're they're already a huge show, but for Sleepy Hollow, you're talking about a a show that was already kind of a kind of a sell. It's like, oh, you know, there's a headless horseman running around with a shotgun. You you need somebody to be out there being like, no, you should watch this. And that's what he was for them for uh, like two seasons. And I don't, I was puzzled with the way that they treated him and puzzled with the way that they treated Abby. Like in the second season, you saw that they sort of pulled back her role. They pulled back Orlando's role. They pulled back, um, I can't remember the actress who plays her sister, Jenny, but her, she, she was well wasn't in as much of the second season and instead they they tried to 
create a new uh, male like male character on the show that was ultimately not successful, and they shuffled him out. And they tried to sort of increase the screen time of Katrina, who was um, Ichabod's love interest, and that was just a disaster. So, I mean, they made a lot of terrible choices that second season. But they did get picked up, which I think, I don't know if it surprised everybody, but I think the reaction that the fans had when Abby got written off was just so strong. And they also, like with the um, Klexa fans on the 100, were able to trend some things just about how upset and frustrated they were with her loss. But, like, it'll be interesting to see actually, where that show goes. Yeah, right? I was going to say, I think they actually trended after her death, cancel Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, and it was <laughs> renew Sleepy Hollow up until that moment, from what I heard. Yeah, and then they just changed it, and they, they I mean, well, like, well played. But, yeah, I was I was surprised as well that they that they renewed that, because just like the castle uh, situation, uh, my first thought when I heard that they were, had uh, killed off Abby was, like, what's the use of the show now? Not even just, like, that I was upset. It was, I was just like, what's the use? Like, what is the use of Sleepy Hollow without Abby and Ichabod? What is the use of Castle without Castle and Beckett? There, there isn't really. What would X-Files have been? Like, X-Files season nine was absolutely horrible because it's X-Files without Mulder and Scully. You need Mulder and Scully to make that show work. And if they're absent, that's an entire other character. And all you're doing is waiting for them to come back. But then maybe, what if they're like playing us here? Because Nicole Bahar, has she given any interviews? I have not found anything. I was looking it up. I don't know. I think she she's maybe made a couple of statements that she's out. It sounds like it sounds like she she wanted to leave, and that's why she was written off the show. I think she asked to to be let go. Uh, which is not 100% surprising considering that the way that they had kind of treated her character in the second season and uh, and even in parts of the third season. And I think that there was at some point, like, she had tweeted that they were filming a, a, like a DVD, um, what's it called, a, co- a commentary. She hadn't been invited. Like, she had to ask the official Sleepy Hollow Twitter account Extras. to follow her. I, I, I can't say I 100% blame her given how the character was going and how the show overall was going. I, I, don't, mm. I don't know that I would be like, oh, yay, can't wait to stay here. I, we went through this uh, back in the day on, on Smallville, you know. Once they started kind of phasing Chloe out, it was just like, oh, God, I just hope she leaves by now. Yeah, yeah, you're just like, fly free, little bird. (laughs) I kept wondering whether or not all this is, they've killed her, but it's like the Jon Snow kind of killed, and that the whole plot is going to be bringing her back next season, I don't know. It is sci-fi, so dead is not dead, usually. I mean, dead, you know. Uh, Mostly dead. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, they had they literally had a headless guy like just wandering the countryside, shooting things with a sawed-off shotgun. So on that <laughs> show, I, you know, I I would accept her coming back. Maybe they'll take notes, and that will happen. I I otherwise, though, I think they've lost their fan base. We're talking to Morgan Glennon, who you can find on BuddyTV.com, on Twitter at MojoTastic, and you can hear her on a few podcasts on LegendsOfTomorrowPodcast.com and SupergirlRadio.com. As for us, you can always find us at LegendaryWomen.org, Medium.com slash Legendary-Women, and be sure to look us up on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. Those two shows, Castle and uh, Sleepy Hollow, I feel like are very similar in that I don't see anybody talking about Sleepy Hollow being like, like, I'm so excited to see next season without Abby. Like, a lot of people are just like, 
why do I why would I want to watch this without her on it? The whole premise of the show had the two of those characters together. So when you take one of them out, why keep going? I was surprised by that renewal. I was very surprised. And then we have Ca- Castle, which was canceled, uh, not surprising anybody. So I guess they're not going to kill Beckett now. But if they did, from what I understand, I've been reading a lot on this. I used to watch Castle. I stopped. I got bored. I Sometimes shows can't keep up the momentum once the couple gets together. Mm. And uh, this was one of those shows that uh, it's like the couple gets together. And instead of just writing them as people, you find these manufactured reasons to keep them apart. And you're just like, eh, it's sloppy. I'm done. Yeah, I I've, I watched it until earlier this season when they came up with something very like cliche like I can't even remember what the reason but they came up with some really elaborate reason to keep those two apart and like they were kind of separated even though they were married and I was like I I didn't it wasn't even like a conscious decision it was just like they kept piling up on my DVR and finally I had to just like pull the plug and delete them (laughs) I've been there with shows and I hate when that happens because especially when it's something you were enthusiastic about. But I don't think anybody had a real passion for Castle, let's say the way the Breaking Bad drew people in or Fargo or anything that's really good cliffhangers. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, like Castle was is like, I think, a lot of like TV comfort food. Like it's, yeah, you, know, you know what you're getting when you're watching an episode of Castle. It's not going to like, yeah, it's not Breaking Bad. It's not going to like blow your mind. It's just, it's like a a, a, a fun show watch which is another reason why i i can't imagine what were they planning on doing if they got a season nine were they going to kill beckett because i had really heard that that's what they were going to do like is anyone interested in watching this fun comfort show where like castle is like in mourning is that what what people want (laughs) i heard that the plan was to have uh his daughter step up and then be partners and it'd be like castle referring instead to the two of them investigating now that was what i hear when they were trying to pitch to the network yeah but how can he pitch it if the female lead or the eight-year lead is dead like it just it doesn't make sense yeah it's gonna cast a pot like a pail yeah. over the show like you're just not gonna yeah. it's not gonna be the same fun light-hearted show because you know we just had to watch beckett like die i could definitely see like I, I think april's right though i think that's exactly what they were setting up i watched enough of this season to see that they were bringing in new characters that were kind of like more tied to castle and his like uh new investigate suddenly castle instead of just being a writer was like a private investigator yeah, i heard that and i was like that's so crazy and if you think about this as all a lead up to them trying to set up a potential season nine that made sense without Beckett in it, but was still a crime procedural, I think it makes perfect sense that suddenly he is an, a private investigator and he has like private investigator friends and his daughter's helping him out, even though she's never really shown much interest in being a private investigator. Like, I think that they were like trying to backdoor pilot this season nine that nobody won it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. God, I hate backdoor pilots so much. Like, I, I rarely find that they work. Like, I know that the CW has tried a couple of times. They, like, I guess the originals had a backdoor pilot and people like that. But then they tried to do one for Gossip Girl, maybe, that was, like, a backdoor oh, pilot. Yes. That was, like, a flashback to the 80s. We know Smallville did, like, five that never happened. But, like, and I think <laughs> Supernatural had at least one or two by now that were backdoor pilots for, like, Hunters and stuff. And it just, it never... It really doesn't work as much as people think it does. You know what was the most, um, like, ridiculous backdoor pilot I've ever experienced? Just 
just to go into fun territory for a minute. <laughs> sure. The office tried to backdoor pilot oh, no. a plot with Dwight and yep. his long lost siblings running a farm together, and it just looked so stupid. Oh, I remember watching that and being like, this is going to be bad. <laughs> I, I remember watching that and thinking, come on, you can't really. This is not going to work. No one's going to watch this. I guess no stupid. one did because it didn't exist. And they, they gave up on that. <laughs> How many backdoor pilots have actually worked? Like very, very few. You've got the Jeffersons that worked, but then again, they were beloved characters for years. The backdoor pilots so rarely, so and they're always, almost always, real clunky. They are because all of a sudden, like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern kind of feel to the show for a week, and you're like, where'd my other characters go? And and you have to have the characters (laughs) like walk on stage and basically like tell you their whole deal in like 30 seconds so it'll be like hi my name is such and such i'm neurotic and a little bit a little bit tidy and you're like i don't care like what are you talking about it's like literally all the characters come up and like introduce themselves in like really strange ways and then the characters will be like talking to each other like naming off attributes of the other characters so it'll be like you're so crazy you're such a like an an early riser and i'm like that's just because i work all the time like it's no human beings have ever talked to each other the way people do in backdoor pilots it's it's all as you know jim dialogue it's all info it's all info dumps (laughs) yeah that's so true I remember That's... one from The Nanny did this, too, with, like, a hair salon. She goes to a hair salon one day, and instead of focusing on anything, like, that's interesting, it's it's on this hair salon. They're obviously trying it. Why? It wasn't funny. It didn't work. It didn't make sense. I I don't know. I, I guess we'll have to, like, look for the mythical backdoor pilot that worked. Is there one? Can anyone think of one? I mean, did, didn't I, I – The originals I did like... spin off of – the Vampire Diaries and exist like after a backdoor pilot, technically, but I think again it's one of those. It's still probably on the CW because CW doesn't have anything else to like put there. The Flash backdoor piloted off of Arrow. I think mm. that I don't. I I never made it to that season of Arrow, um, but I have heard that that he first appears on like an episode of Arrow and then got his own spinoff. Which is very good. The Flash is is awesome. But I've heard that. I just haven't yeah. watched. I watched the first. I always watch the first part of a season and then I like get busy <laughs> in the winter and I have to like, go pick it back up on Hulu with a binge watch or something. But um, that's another show actually that came to mind in the women's death. Not that it was a minority character or a queer character, one who was in perhaps contract dispute for a season nine or whatever, but um, they wrote the black canary off of arrow with it, with a death this season, which is kind of interesting because as I understand it, and again, this is basing it from Smallville and like what little things I've wikied on DC comics, but like, I mean, Dinah and Oliver have an on-again, off-again. I mean, obviously he cheats around, so there's a lot of illegitimate Arrow kids out there. But, like, <laughs> she's kind of his his girl. I mean, they have a, a super rocky relationship. If, like, Lois and Clark usually is the standard, they're, like, the back and forth always, like, kind of messing around with each other couple. But they still are kind of the thing. So it's kind of interesting to me that they did that. A, a lot of people were, were super upset about them killing off Laurel and the way that they killed off Laurel. I only made it about two seasons into Arrow, and I have heard that Laurel gets better. I heard she was much better in season three. I heard she was much better in season three and what she had to do in season four. Uh, The little bit that I saw, I wasn't overly invested in her character, but I can understand how if you were, them just sort of killing off Black Canary is 
a puzzler. Um, I don't, I mean, she wasn't like really romantically linked to, to Oliver at that point. So that wasn't so much a thing, but she was the black canary at that point. So and they I, had definitely had other options because her sister was the original black canary and she comes back in the Lazarus pitch and now she's on the Legends, Legends of Tomorrow, Tomorrow. So yeah. white canary, but like, it's so odd that they started the show and they basically ended up having two black canary candidates and now they just don't have a black canary. Yeah, with Canary, like, I get that they were trying to do something different, maybe, or that they didn't want to feel bound to mythos, but I feel like after they worked really hard to sort of rehab her and build her up as a character and a hero in her own right in season three, and then I know that she was sidelined a little bit this season just when I did Red, so it's, like, kind of obvious people knew that was coming, but it just, it feels an interesting choice. Like, I kind of am glad, oh, you're, you're doing something different, but at the same time, I think it's like, oh, you had this character who could have been interesting or you could have maybe done more with later, but, like, it's an interesting choice this early in the series overall considering she's supposed to be so important to the mythos i just it's interesting i don't watch i haven't watched this season of arrow or last season of arrow uh i i watched like two seasons on netflix and then i was like okay that's as much arrow as i need to know to watch enjoy legends of tomorrow arrow is not it's 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 a very grimdark um and they they're they're really committed like they've really locked themselves into this flashback um structure that uh even in the first season, began to feel played out. Uh, in the second season, the flashbacks had some connection to the main plot, and so they weren't quite as painful. But I have heard that in the third season, the flashbacks have, like, no connection to the, the main plot and, and that they have continued to just kind of got like get worse and worse. And I was like, I'm not signing up for that. But uh, I did watch uh, Laurel's death scene for this um, this season of Arrow, just to kind of see how they they wrote her off. And I can understand that if you are a Laurel fan and you saw that death scene, why you might be really pissed off. Because she's basically, I mean, I don't know if they had been playing up the romantic angle between her and Oliver, but she basically tells him that he's, even though she's not the love of his life, he'll always be like the love of her life. And I was like, are they has she had like a thing for him I that I forgot about because it seemed like that was almost over by the time I had been watching it. And then she kind of spends her dying moments telling him to like stay with Felicity. And I can understand that if you're a Laurel fan, you might want her death scene to have something to do with like maybe not a relationship that she's not even in. So I feel I like something like, that happens with, with female character deaths too. I mean, it's been a couple years, but it's still fresh in my heart. When Alice and Argent died on Teen Wolf, it felt more like it was about how it affected Scott and to an extent her father than it was about her own legacy. And it makes almost like female character death as a vehicle for what the male character needs to do with his life. That's a great transition to Teen Wolf, which like just randomly dumped a female character for no apparent reason this season as well when they uh, they got rid of Kira. They're not bringing her back for next season oh man see i haven't kept up with it but i'm like guys and uh apparently the last time um you see her in the season and i'm behind about half of a season on teen wolf because i, I hadn't really been connecting to the new season all that much so they just start piling up on my dvr and i was like oh, i'll get to them uh but apparently they don't really give her character any closure and the reason that they give they gave Arden Chow for not bringing her back for the new season was like her character had done all that she could do. Yeah, and I read an interview with Jeff Davis about that. I just thought that was so bizarre to say that there was no more story left with that character. I thought there was a ton of story left with that character. And the idea of there, there being no more story left with the character, it's 
seemed very strange to me. Like, I, I didn't feel like her character had been so well explored that there was nothing left to do with her. I used to joke with a friend of mine that he had all the actors, like, sign their contracts in crayon. Because they, the, the characters on Teen Wolf would, like, li- literally just left. Like, that show has lost so many main Oh, God, they like, have. So many. Like, there is, like, almost nobody left on that it's show. Just, and they would as just far as I know, Holland leave. and Styles and the Scott. Like, it's just the three of them from the first season, right? Yeah, and, and it just seemed like they were – that show is just losing characters, like, left and right. And, uh, like, yeah, because, like, Derek's not even on the show anymore. Oh, yeah. And that's really bad for a show if you're, let's say, I was a fan of the show Misfits. I don't know if you guys watched it. It was a British show. Mm -hmm, I've heard of it. It It was amazing. It had two very perfect seasons with a cast and everything built. And then, as often happens with British shows, I think the actors have dry erase contracts. They just leave when, I guess, they get enough fame. They think, oh, I can do movies now. Cool. So they leave, and then they replace that. You get used to that cast a big overhaul again. It was just the most revolving door cast I'd ever seen. And by the time the fourth iteration came, like season four, and it was, I don't know any of these people, there's just no point to it. Sometimes as long as you can keep the two leads, like let's say one or two of the main uh, leads from season one, it works. But the more that happens, people feel betrayed and they don't want to trust that they're going to watch the show. They don't want to trust... uh, getting invested in anyone well people are so invested in initial dynamics in a show so it's really hard when they all disappear or there's maybe this one lead from like the first year is there and it's like year 10 coughs but like it just it's really hard to get that investment but i think that's one thing that buffy as a show was really smart about because the core scoobies even if they had anthony stewart head as a recurring in the final two seasons because of like him wanting to be in england more with his family they still had that continuity of here's the scooby group we have it at the beginning, we have it at the end. They really played that up in the finale, and you still had that touchstone. Like even if the lovers change or like this, you know, the secondary cast change, you still had the core Scoobies, and that was something. But I feel like when a show changes as much as like Team Wolf has, like I don't recognize it. Like one of my favorite things was I know it was queer baiting, but I thought it was interesting to look at Derek and Styles and how they got. At least they you know, bickered a lot. It was fun. It was interesting. But like when it when they cast out so much, I just see preview sometimes I'm watching Teen Mom or like True Life and I'll see a commercial and I'm like who are these people I remember who Styles and Scott are but what is this the we did enough with her like I feel like they said the same thing about Allison and like both times they'll write off the female leads or they'll just kill off was it Erica or whatever the second season but they keep bringing back like other Argents they bring back like Peter like a billion times they bring back like Gerard I mean they bring back the men a lot they left an open ending for whatever reason that you could bring back Colton Haynes and it wasn't that I don't like him as a person I just did not like Jackson at all but like the women it's like done yeah I do think it's interesting that like when it uh they've lost so many cast members at this point they must be old hats at writing people off but Mm. the the people that they choose to kill it does seem like overwhelmingly are are the the women characters even even the villains even the villains like almost all the male villains are still alive from the seasons of that show almost all the female villains died yeah exactly Uh, you have to sort of understand that television is a business and they can't always make all their choices based off what they would like to do creatively but at the same time when you have to write that many characters off which again, they really need to do something better with their contracts. But when they have to write that many characters off, you then start to see patterns of 
who ends up dying, who ends up getting written off unceremoniously. Um, and, but I think that the difference between Allison and uh, Kira is that Allison, the, the actress, Crystal Reed, asked to be written off. She wanted to leave. And I think maybe in, correctly or incorrectly, they kind of realized it would be kind of hard to write her off in a way that seemed organic without killing her. I don't know that I agree with that. But for, um, for Arden Chow, they, like, they were just like, oh, no, we don't want you back. I'm sure that she would have liked to come back for the next season of Teen Wolf. They were just like, nah, which seems strange to me because as we've mentioned, there aren't like a lot of the original cast left on that show. So I don't know why you would get rid of like one of the characters that people care about when you've got like about like a bunch of these new characters that you're trying to desperately to make the audience care about that I sort of never latched onto. I can't wait till season seven of Broad City when it's just two completely different women. Yes. <laughs> I think it's been interesting, again, seeing this year, I don't know what happened behind the scenes with, with Arden Cho or anything, but, like, it's interesting to see sort of the way that there's machinations that seem to come out. I mean, it's Hollywood, it's business, it's money. You make that great point, Morgan. But at the same time, there seem to be certain machinations where you're doing contracts and either not telling women, like, where Kelly Ripa was just completely blindsided, even though it's still her show, but, like, when Michael oh, Strahan, maybe? Strahan, yeah. Left. And then, obviously, everything that happened behind the scenes with Castle and Becca, and they don't have a show, so it kind of worked out in a weird way anyway, but, like, basically trying to get Stan Akatic off. And it just feels like when there is some machinations or rejection or how can we save money, they go to the women's paychecks first. And uh, April and I are Criminal Minds fans, so we remember all the yes, what the heck too, uh, several years ago. Yeah. With Prentice and uh, JJ. Yeah, I, Criminal Minds is my guilty pleasure in that it is so repetitive and uh, some episodes don't have any redeeming value. And yet I love it so much. But I do remember when they did that and they were like, we have to save money. Let's just get rid of all the women and just get women who look somewhat similar for lower paychecks. And that was my favorite, which is that they replaced JJ, who is uh, a blonde with blue eyes, with another mm-hmm. younger actress who was blonde and blue eyes. And they're like, no Seaver. one's going oh, no to notice. And that poor actress, I feel like, got so much, uh, got so much shit, really, for uh, for taking over that, that part, which was, it was a thankless part because the uh, I felt like the creative uh, people behind that show did not want to be writing out the, the characters as well. So they sort of just shoved in, like, whatever character, and they were just like, fine, here's your blonde. <laughs> like, it was such and it a wasn't sh- her fault. It really it wasn't. wasn't. And, and she's very good. I think she's on um, a show called Continuum now. Uh, I think she's oh, heading yeah. out. And that poor girl, I mean, like, because I saw, like, a lot of the reactions to her was like, we hate her, why can't we get rid of her? And it's like, oh, this poor actress, it's not your fault that CBS has decided to be terrible. But, yeah, they wanted to, um, and, and I didn't understand that even from a business perspective, because Criminal Minds, whether or not you like the show or not, does very, very, very well for CBS. So why mess it up? Why change the formula that people are enjoying? And uh, yeah. so I guess they I know, asked the production team of house. They seem to do that every year. And I was like, what are you doing? I, oh, I honestly ended up stopping watching because let, let's say that's, it's a kind of a dark show and you need to take your joy where you can get it. And for me, that was Morgan and Garcia. Oh God. Yes. And, 
without that dynamic, without them flirting, I'm just done. So I kind of, I'm kind of done with that show. That was my ship of the show. I was like, gosh, darn, uh, I have like the worst picking mechanism for ships ever. I swear. It was one of those things where I was so sad when he left the show, and I was, but I was like, can you blame the poor guy? He's been on the show for like a, literally a decade, yeah. like, like over a decade. Mm-hmm. He must have thought like, okay, I'll just, I'll hang in there until it ends. It can't go much longer, right? And then it just kept going. Like, yeah. you know, at some point he was like, I want to leave, but what if I could just make it to the end of the show? And I think at, at that point he just realized the show's never ending. I got to get out. What they could have done, just, just for me personally, I, don't, I know that I don't, I don't have the right to make these demands, but all they needed to do was just not have Morgan or Garcia be with anybody else. So I could imagine that behind the, afterwards, the scenes yeah. – there were all kinds of <laughs> secret hookups, and that that would have made me happy. Yes, I know. It was very painful that they wrote him off with, like, a wife and child. I was like, oh, no, oh, great, so he's got to be happy. Like, no, yeah. no, you're with Garcia. But, yeah, I think it all it does seem to be like, mm, we need to get rid of money. You know, Castle Season 9 might come up. Let's get rid of – I know there's other factors, but you can get rid of Stana Haddock and I don't know the actress who played, like, the Emmy or whatever. But, like, the, the rumors had been or the scuttlebutt had been that – that, that Fillion had gone to bat and to try and get the male cast members renewed and like make sure they had like condensed salaries with a season nine going in. And I'm like, that blew up in everybody's faces. But like, it was just interesting that it's like, save money, get rid of one, which usually women are paid less than male leads anyway. Like, they're going to offer, oh, God help me, Gillian Anderson, like half what they're going to oh offer Kevin for season 10 of X Files. I mean, it's like, so if you're going to save the money, shouldn't you cut the men first? Because they're probably drawing more salary by law of averages. Yeah, I saw somebody tweet that, and I laughed a lot, that they were like, to save money, maybe you shouldn't cut the female characters. You should cut some of the males because they're probably making more than the female cast members anyway. I don't understand why they didn't think that the optics of that were going to be terrible. I personally I personally wonder if ABC uh, didn't just want to – I think that they wanted to float this out there, which is why they announced it, to see if anybody would actually watch a season nine uh, without Beckett. And they got back a resounding nope. So I, I'm pretty sure that's why they, they pulled the plug. But because I was talking to somebody the other day and they were like, you know, if they were just going to cancel it, I wish that they hadn't come out and said all that stuff about getting rid of Beckett uh, and Laney because it kind of and it does. It leaves a pall over the series where it could have gone out on top having, you know, eight or nine year run. I think it's eight maybe. But, you know, it's a long running show. It's very well liked. And instead, let out this thing that they might be considering a season nine without Beckett. And now everybody's pissed and happy that they canceled it instead of maybe it would be a more bittersweet thing that it was like, oh, it's run its course and we can say goodbye to it in like a nice way. But I think that the network was trying to see, could we get away with it? And they found out no. But at least they're at least they floated it and tried to see what the reaction would be. Because there are some shows that just fundamentally misread their audience. Like saying there is a castle without Beckett is misreading the audience. Yeah. You know, the audience yeah. is there for that couple, and if you don't have that couple, it's gone. It's like if they tried to do Parks and Recreation without Leslie Nope, it doesn't work. You know. The yeah. whole idea I remember when Sarah Michelle Gellar was going to leave Buffy. They're like, can we do one where we just spin off with Willow and call it the Buffyless Buffy? I remember that was on Entertainment Weekly. I'm like, that's probably not going to work. And it didn't. So at least thank God for small favors. I don't know if you you guys watched this, but I'm sure you heard of it. The How I Met Your Mother uh, season oh, yeah. oh, finale. 
No, I haven't yeah. heard. I haven't seen it, but I heard the anguish. It's still ongoing, and I'm like, oh my god! It it like I retroactively ruined the rest of the show for me. It does. Yes. There are only a few series finales that are that rancid. We all know another one, but there are only a few that are so rancid the entire series is nullified. And How I Met Your Mother, even if I I had only watched the first two seasons, I was like. Oh, boy, I'm glad I didn't get on that train. To me, it was the perfect example of, you know how people kind of complain, like, about TV shows that don't know where they're going or they don't have an idea of what the ending is going to be? Like, people will complain about loss, like, oh, they didn't know where they were going and it kind of devolved into a mess. This, to me, was the perfect example of why you want your TV shows to be flexible enough to grow and to outgrow an ending. This was an ending that they had come up with, I think between at the end of the first season or between seasons two and three, when they, there was some risk that they weren't going to get canceled before the Britney Spears episode brought like a million people and it became a big hit. At that point, the ending, while it would still not have been my favorite ending, made some sense within the show. As the show got older and went on and on and on, that ending no longer made any sense. And yet they still felt that they were so committed to it that they had to keep going with it. That's what killed me, too. I think uh, they filmed it at the beginning of season two, according to everything I've seen. Like, they knew that's where it was going. And I think that after, I think Victoria was going to be the mother at some point. They were going to, they were not renewed for season two. Past season two, Victoria would be the mother. Or Stella would have been the fake-out mother. But they kept getting renewed. The, The worst part of it is that it's not just that the characters and the plot evolved away from that ending. It's that in season nine, they were given us multiple, multiple chances to say Barney and Robin are terrible for each other. And every time they had them grow apart, they kept bringing them back together and showing us why they worked. And then in the finale, whoop, hey, we're divorcing, guys. <laughs> well, to, to me, what was, was so uh, was so irritating was just that they the, they decided to make the whole season uh, Barney and Robin's wedding. I can't think of a worse way to try to push the idea that Ted and Robin should eventually end up together than to have your whole final season at Robin's wedding to another dude. Like, it was just such a terrible... Every part of that last season was a terrible decision, like, down the line. I can't imagine. Like, just a worse... Just a worse decision. And then they cast who who might be, like, probably one of the most likable... Uh, characters with the least amount of screen time I've ever seen to be the mother. So you meet her and you're like, no, yes, this is exactly who I want Ted to be with. And then they kill her. She was the most lovable thing. Like the way people responded to her by the middle, everybody was kind of, kind of in love with the mother too. And like, Hey, I just want some happiness porn. And, and then on the final episode, you don't even have Bob Saget narrating. What? What is this world? Maybe he thought it was BS and didn't want to narrate that in part because I could see that happening too. I'd be I like, like, oh, I like to and imagine done. Bob Saget like just throwing the pages of the script and walking. And you know out. he would have like all the four-letter words in the world because he's like a like a foul-mouthed guy, and I would love to see that reaction. Are you like, are you, you know, <laughs> not years? And this is what you want me to narrate? I'm out of here. Expletive, expletive, expletive. Finger it was just gestures. like a, a perfect example of the show like not listening to its audience, not. I mean, and they, I don't think that they had it, everything was, like, pre-filmed. Like, they were still filming during the season. So when they saw these reactions to the mother, everybody's saying, oh, my God, we love her so much. We're so happy that this is who they cast, that this is where they're going. And every time that they hinted at Robin and Ted, I felt like the, the reaction from the audience was, like, just a groan. 
Like, yes. I can't believe you're going here again. I can't. And, and again, this is an ending that would have made sense after season two or maybe season three, where the Robin and Ted dynamic had not been played out so many times in so many different ways just to pull back because they had to because they knew that they were going to this ending. So they're like, we can't put them back together again. We know we need to go to this ending. But what ended up happening is you kept on seeing Robin and Ted, like, and the show telling you they're terrible for each other, they're never going to work. So after nine years of that, at, to just at the end of the show, in five minutes, tell you, oh, never mind. Like, this is all led up to this. It, I, every once in a while, something will come in my mind, because this was a very clever show, like with storytelling devices and the tropes mm. they used. Very cleverly done. And the fact that, that uh, they did not back away from that ending, it really takes my trust away. <laughs> Yeah, and I think for me, just personally, this might make me sound like a little bit of a sadist, but one of my favorite episodes of the show was the season two finale, when you find out that Ted and Robin had been broken up, and you find out why they had been broken up, and I really liked that the reason that they broke up was so, like, realistic and relatable, and it was, wasn't was about, like, oh, somebody cheated on somebody else, or, for her, like, there's, like, another relationship, or some super dramatic reason, it was just these two characters had very different conceptions of where they're going in life and that made so much sense to me I was like that is a realistic breakup that is a breakup people have have every single day and I like that so much because it's not something you see on tv period but it's not something you see in sitcoms almost at all and for them to undo it at the last minute like just really bummed me out I don't understand how a show could be so smart and so clever and then so freaking stupid by the end but I think some shows do marry certain endings that they have to do, and or they have some ideas, and they're like, we have to commit to this. I don't think I remember, again, these are not shows I've watched, but like the reaction to Dexter's ending was about as like knee-jerk. Like, sometimes they just have this idea, and they think this is going to go great, and they don't realize the betrayal to a fan base when you go, no, please don't do this to us. We're talking to Morgan Glennon, who you can find on BuddyTV.com, on Twitter at Mojotastic, and you can hear her on a few podcasts on LegendsOfTomorrowPodcast.com and SupergirlRadio.com. As for us, you can always find us at LegendaryWomen.org, Medium.com slash Legendary-Women, and be sure to look us up on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. So I guess the last thing I wanted to hit on, even though most of these things aren't out as far as clips or trailers yet, is just as far as the announcements of so far what's going to be new shows on the the big five networks, is there anything you're looking forward to? I noticed, and I think a lot of people on Facebook pointed this out, was just the pattern of so many movies being made into TV shows, like The Exorcist is going to be a TV show. You're kidding. It works for Bates Motel, okay. <laughs> But it doesn't work for Damien the Omen, which I've been trying to watch, and it's terrible. So I don't know how you make The Exorcist a t- like a, a, an ongoing TV show. I really don't understand that. Frequency is going to be a TV show with Peyton List on the CW. Um, the there CW are others. They love Peyton List, don't they? They just keep trying to make Peyton List happen. Yeah, they've been trying for literally 11 years now, and I don't think it's going to happen. It's. I feel bad. I almost feel bad because she's she's fine. I liked her fine in um, the remake of The Tomorrow People. I thought she had a really good episode where I was like, I can see this girl being good, but they just I don't think she's going to happen. No, they, they they try with her almost every season on a new project, and yeah. um, poor Peyton List. Oh, God and Riverdale's going to be a series? So they're going to make Archie a CW series? I'm like, is it going to be a sexy Archie? I was, uh, I was joking the other day that, like, at what point does the CW just become the DC TV network? It's pretty much there, right? I mean, because right. it's almost there. doesn't DC Comics own iZombie's original comic, too? 
iZombie, Legends of Tomorrow, Arrow, Flash, Supergirl now. And, and then on the online program, when they do technically have Vixens, she crosses over into some of their live stuff, too, when they have, like, crossovers. So even their CW seed has the DC influence as well. Yeah, so they have, like, what? They're going to have, like, about six television shows that are five. I think five that are DC. And then, and then whatever and Riverdale's Archie. from. Yeah, so that's what is Archie six, from? I don't know, actually. They did, so they're they're the same ones who did Sabrina and, like, Richie Rich. They're going to have six comic shows. I used to read those comics. Archie Betty Forever. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Is Uh it like sexy? Is it like sexy Jughead? I'm very confused. But like, yeah, I was surprised there are a lot. And like they want to get Cruel Intentions 20 years later to be a TV show, but it's not like NBC's not sure yet. No, literally with Sarah Michelle Gellar in her same role. And I'm like, God, oh, I want you to do something better. There are some movies who like they work as a two hour format, but I don't think they work for 10 years or five years or hundred episodes. Like I don't well, think they do the, the same thing. That's kind of the the issue. I just have a personal opinion that I think when a show has a five year plan, things are tight. Like I always talk about Breaking Bad, but if Breaking Bad was perfect, start to finish, perfect pilot, perfect finale, I could watch the two of them back to back and enjoy them. It was a wonderfully done show. <laughs> And I don't think it was even just so much as, like, the show had, like, a specific vision for everything, but they had an arc that they stuck to. They said they want to take Mr. Chip, uh, what was it, Mr. Chips to Scarface, and that's exactly what they did. Like, they had an arc of the show. They knew where they were going. They didn't know the particulars because I remember reading, like, an interview with um, oh Vince Gillian where – at that moment where I can't remember what season it was where they open the, he opens the trunk and he sees all those like guns in there. Oh, beginning of five. Beginning yes. of five. When they wrote that, they didn't know where they were going or why he was buying those guns. Uh, and so that's, that's, I think an example to me of like, you don't have to demand that shows know exactly down to the, like the minutia, like what's going to happen or have their ending. So planned out, like how I met your mother, where the, the show has outgrown the ending and then they still shove it on there. Anyway, the show should have a good idea of where they're getting to generally. And I think yeah. that keeps them, them tight. So that's why so I think shows that are like prequel series based on movies or preexisting properties are, are they're tricky. Like we all have learned that from experience, but I just, I don't see how you make the exorcist like a five year thing. Like even the sequel to the exorcist, everybody hates. So are you going to have her like, in season two, hang out with Pazuzu if it gets renewed. Like, I don't get it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, The Exorcist is scary as, like, a two-hour film. It might have been less than two hours. But is it going to be scary over 22 episodes? No. I mean, and I think that I think that a lot of the horror shows that have been popping up the last couple mm-hmm. years, they've all been shorter because it's what's scary in a two-hour movie is not scary – pulled out over 13 hours it's like oh did you just hear that wind howl yeah like three episodes ago it's still howling like i you know you can't uh, so much of horror is mood uh but so much of television is character building and uh and you know story and you can't really you can only keep the mood for so long so that's the one thing about ryan murphy and i have so many issues with his shows it could be a separate podcast episode or eight of them the idea behind the American Horror Story stuff, at least, and God help us all, the um, Scream Queen, is at least that they're, like, contained. Like, it's a one idea per season, you're done, you move out, you get a new thing, you can keep moving, keep killing people off. Exactly. But if it's just the one plot line, like Damien or The Exorcist, I don't know how you keep doing it. Like, 
I don't get it. Like, yeah, I, what I don't does think the Exorcist well TV show do in season two? You know what I mean? Like, it's Azuzu, I keep telling you, you get to Locust and like James Earl <laughs> Jones and his headdress that's culturally insensitive and it's gonna be fine. So I mean, just like well, the movies, it, it's gonna be great. It would be interesting if they took the route that uh, Fargo did. The Fargo the series is uh, explored the consequences post, let's say, the events of the movie in 2009, and now they're going to go back to the 19. Then in season two, they go back to the 70s and explore everything, everything being connected and all the events that feed into each thing. And it was just really well done, self-contained in each. Really, really good. Um, Especially the season one. I, I haven't watched season two yet. I'm I haven't either. The treadmill. <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got the whole season on my DVR. Like I'm just waiting for like a like a rainy weekend or something. But I've heard great things about season two, and I think mm-hmm. that they like the FX really knows how to do their like limited run shows. Yeah, their anthology shows, and I I, I do agree. So like American Horror Story is like a good example of an anthology show that sort of like knows what it's doing. Ryan Ryan Murphy shows are a mixed bag at best. Let's we'll all be very honest. I I call what Ryan Murphy has as his shows have Ryan Murphy disease where they start out really strong yes. and then they just sort of devolve into a weird mess by the end like even And just American love their Horror stereotypes story. but not turning them on their head but really digging into them so are. Oh yeah, but even American Horror Story as a like a, a limited show, it's like 13, 12 episodes at the most, self-contained. Even those s- s- seasons start out really good and get yeah. weird by the end. Like it's like mm. it, the, the amount of uh, attention gets smaller and smaller with each show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The amount of focus. And, and like, I think like now it's like he can do like maybe five good episodes. Yeah. Oh my god. Maybe less if you're looking at Robert Shapiro in um, American Crime Story and you're just like, what is going on, John Travolta? Yeah, American Crime Story was great. I don't know what John Travolta was doing, though. I literally have no <laughs> was idea. Was he doing Pearl? Was that like just a flashback to Battlefield Earth overacting? Because I felt like it was. To me, it was amazing because that show was was really well done, actually. I, I couldn't believe it was a Ryan Murphy show. Like, not to knock on Ryan Murphy. He has strengths, uh, but... Camp, unfortunately, tends to be one of them, yes, though. Yes, High Camp is, is what I usually go to his shows for. But he's for, got and, Sarah Paulson, and she rocks. Yeah, every yeah she's great. She's phenomenal. But American Cr- Crime Story was definitely not... I mean, it, it had its campy moments, but it wasn't High Camp. It was, it was very well done, and they had great performances... And it was like almost as if Travolta was literally in a different show, it and he was. would walk in from a different show, uh, like like he would walk in from an American Horror Story, <laughs> and and then walk out, and you'd be like, "What just happened?" <laughs> On that note, I thought it would be a really good idea if uh, we could all say things we recommend uh, going this season or going into next season without reservation. Things that we think are doing a really good job with women. Oh, that's what I was gonna say. I was gonna ask if you had recommendations or what you were hoping, looking forward to in twenty seven or twenty sixteen's fall. Anything cool coming up? Hmm. Let me think. Um, I I I do love Supergirl. I think that its first season has had some growing pains, uh, as most first seasons do, and it can be a little bit overly earnest sometimes. But I think. Uh, you know, compared to something like Arrow that is grim dark all the time, or even some of the uh, the Netflix Marvel shows that can be a little bit much. That Supergirl is sort of like the light side of that, and I I really like Supergirl. I also 
have really been enjoying Winona Earp on uh, Sci-Fi. I think that's definitely a show that needs more people to watch it uh, because it's so fun. It's it's built around a really cool female character who is uh, who is played by a great actress who's very charming, very likable. It's built around a sisterly dynamic between these two sisters that are both very cool and capable. To be honest, I think that the mythology at this point in the show is nearly incomprehensible. So don't come for the mythology. I have no clue what is going on but it has a lot of very pretty people uh the main the main actor the main characters are great and uh and i think it's going to eventually smooth out into something that is going to be very very exciting to watch right now it's going through some growing pains but it definitely needs more people to be watching it because it's on friday nights on sci-fi so yeah watch winona earp <laughs> for me I'm gonna sound a little bit like Mo, like Morgan in that I really I really like Supergirl. I again I had a rough spring, so I haven't been able to keep up with a lot of shows. But I've really I really enjoyed it. I really think that I'm glad that it, if it moves to CW and has a, a lower budget, that you know that's hard. But like I'm so glad it gets a second shot because I really think it was maybe sometimes clunky or sometimes not dealing with issues that you don't talk about. And I really like that it's a sunnier superhero show. That's one of the things that I liked about The Flash. And I think even if it's a little bit cheesier sometimes, like can't you have that too? Like, I feel like we have so much grim, dark, and even I guess in this the show, Supergirl, they kind of hint that her cousin is the Clark Kent Superman of, you know, Donna Justice and all this other stuff, maybe possibly. <laughs> so like that's so dark. It's almost like its own self parody. So it's nice to see that. Um, I'm trying to think what else I've been watching that I really like. I mean, I like Jessica Jones. I mean, it's a completely different flavor of superheroine, and it's 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 a hard one to sit through because Jessica there is the Jones. trauma involved. Oh, that was like my favorite show from last season. But I it's just so good. It so much. It is. It's a tough show, I think, for a lot of people. For me, I, I'm probably like a weirdo. Like I liked it so much that I I finished the season and then started it again. But I can definitely like I've I've heard from a lot of people who are like I could only watch an episode and then I had to take a break, or I could only watch a couple episodes and then I had to take a break because it, it is very dark. But it's fantastic, and Kristen Ritter is amazing as she always is in everything. But I actually thought of another one which is also on the CW, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which has a... I was just, oh, that's what I was going to say. That's my number one. <laughs> which has a terrible oh. title, but is an amazing show. It is. It's it's brilliant. I, I've been a fan of her since her YouTube days. I, I actually watch a lot more YouTube than I should. What, the best thing about it is that it features people behaving at their absolute worst, and that's the point. You know, everything she does is something that's been taught to us from Disney movies, from romantic comedies. It, it fails the Bechdel test, but that's the point. And that's what's amazing about it. Because her focus is so much on this guy, on getting him, on him being the answer to everything. I think one of my favorite moments was where a boy band made up of four Joshes <laughs> who are also mental health professionals. <laughs> and, uh, it's just, it's absolutely amazing. It's got uh, a great diverse cast. Honestly, Rachel Bloom is... I don't know where she's been all these years. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's not only really good um, and really interesting, but it's so different. It, it's unlike anything else that's on TV right now. It's a musical comedy. It's it's so, so funny. And it's got so many great performers on the show. And I love that uh, that the, the heartthrob character is like a, a – a, a really cute Filipino guy because I, I mean, as I think there, there's been a lot of 
conversations lately about um, the role of Asian Americans um, in cinema and in TV. Mm-hmm. And here is a here is like a, a Asian character who is not a stereotype. He's like a total bro, uh, which I think you <laughs> see a lot of in that community. And but you don't see that reflected on TV almost at all. You know, our entire episode one uh, podcast was about this because we were talking to Tope Wynn of the Bitchback. That's one of the things I like about it. Uh, also, he's shorter than her, which is refreshing to me. Yeah. I guess. Daryl Whitefeather. Uh, one of, just one of the cutest characters in the world, you know? <laughs> uh, he's kind of... Uh, the the ship right now is Josh Feather, right? White Josh, yeah. which is. <laughs> oh, um, I think one of my favorite episodes was when he realizes that he's bisexual, and he is so excited about it, and he comes in and he announces, "I'm both sexual." And I, was like, <laughs> <laughs> I think of that all the time now. It makes me laugh so hard. I was like, "Yes, that's perfect." <laughs> It's just a really clever show, and it, it, it managed to, to 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 do something that's been done. Everything you're seeing on it is technically a cliche that, like, we're taking our romantic comedy cliches, and and basically plopping them into the real world where they don't work. But she doesn't realize it because she's really just stuck in her own idea of what's happening. Like when she imagines herself singing, as opposed to when she's really singing. It's a very interesting. Uh, I, it's something that I think they're going to explore more in season two because I haven't heard her sing well since uh, <laughs> the Dream Ghost episode. Yeah, yeah. The, actually, I, you know, for all we're ragging on the CW, they have a lot of really interesting and uh, and female friendly programming. For me, the combo of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and Jane the Virgin was like my Monday night happy place because Jane the Virgin has continued to be such a good show, such a fun show, and a show where I think it really, you know, we talk a lot about diversity on TV, but, you know, there's a, a selfish reason to ask for more diversity, and that is that you're not seeing the same NCIS show uh, over and over and over again. Uh, Jane the Virgin is also unlike anything else on TV. It's very influenced by telenovelas. Ugly and it, Betty reminds yeah. me of the energy is very similar, which is, it I is. really miss that show. So I've got Jane the Virgin on my list, actually, for my treadmill list. <laughs> yeah, you would like it. It's it's so great. And and I, it's, again, there's the selfish reason to, to push for more diversity, and that's that you don't end up watching the same show over and over and over mm. again. With like you know, uh, straight male protagonists like solving crimes. Like I don't, I've seen that show, and there are good versions of that show, and there are very well done versions of that show. But I don't need to see that show repeated over and over and over again on every single network. Mm. The ones that feel different, like Jane the Virgin or Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, that have a, a, a real point of view and a distinct point of view, and aren't like everything else that you see. I think the fun thing about the CW, and like I know they've had sort of a rough spring because they had that sort of pile up of queer women deaths that I don't think they noticed. They, I mean, I don't think they pre-planned it. I think they just didn't realize what it looked like. But they do, and even for all the DC shows, what they do, they do well. And the DC shows, especially that as Berlanti's led them, have really worked hard to do diversity in casting and to make interesting casting choices where they could and to really be more interesting. And I think that CW can take more chances than some other places could because for them they don't need – eight, nine, 10, 15 million viewers to stay in the ball game. I mean, they need maybe a couple million and they can still target really hard to their sort of 18 to 25 audience or whatever. And so that allows them maybe to try things that the other networks are more hesitant to. Like I think Fox used to be more like that. I mean, they'd give you something interesting for eight episodes and take it away. Sniffs Firefly. But like they still would do more things, especially in the genre show aspect. And I feel like they're losing that willingness to be 
risky to sort of try and recreate a Bones or an Empire again. And, like, I feel like CW still will take that chance because it's small enough that it can afford to. Like, it doesn't need as many people and sets of eyeballs. In the same vein of it's small so it can take more chances, I I know this is kind of weird, but I've been enjoying, and I probably shouldn't, but I like the Mortal Instruments uh, TV show. I like watching live, whatever it's called, ABC Family Became... Live free. Freeform. Or, freeform. Sorry. Freeform now. So we could all have never reads that we might concede. I, I'm never going to read Diana Gabaldon, but I've been watching Outlander. Oh, Outlander. Yeah, yeah I like Outlander. <laughs> but like, um, I, I do like the show because like I saw the movie. Like, I know of the source material. I know all the controversy about it, but I think mm-hmm. the show tries to do things that gives Clary a lot more agency, and they've really expanded Isabella, and it usually passes the Bechdel test each episode, and like they've really expanded, especially Isabella's role and her you know, being smart and the scientist of the group, but also having her sexuality and not being afraid to embrace that and having clashes with how she can, you know, keep up her parents' legacy, but also try and work within the clave because her parents were not necessarily the best people. So they really have tried to broaden out the female characters. And I think it's important to also recognize a show that is made for the younger audience or the teen audience and that really has a prominently, will eventually have the Malik, the the Magnus, and the Alec coupling and, like, have a prominently, like, set of gay characters, one of whom is like, both of whom are actually characters of color in this. So it's like, I just like they're taking some chances and they really did like push out some of like the women characters and rounded them out much better than either the film or the books seem to. Have the wigs got any better? Because I saw like a little bit of the pilot and I was like, oh, whoa, what is on their head? Well, I think Clary's hair is her hair and they just found a color to dye it. I'm like, I don't know if that was the right color because it's like fire hydrant. It's, a it's not even fire color. hydrant. It's like Clifford. It's like an orange. It's like parking cone orange. I was like, mm, that's not right. It's, but it's did like you a- have a question too, Weepy? Besides Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, I really, really, really enjoy Broad City. It's very unexpected. The places it goes comedically and faithfulness to the relationship, the core relationship, which is Abby and Ileana, is awesome. And also a webcomic called Plume. I know that's not TV, but there is um, an audio series of it where they take voiceover and put it to the panels. And I might do one of the voices on it, maybe. And uh, <laughs> Shout out. That's how I found it. It's a webcomic called Plume. It's a fantasy western uh, about a girl and her immortal companion seeking revenge and treasure. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really, really well done. And it's left me on the worst cliffhanger right now. So I I really recommend it. But take your time because once you get where I am, you're going to be so frustrated. Oh, no. Yeah, I have, let me see, I have a couple more. It's coming up soon, I think, uh, but Unreal on Lifetime is actually a surprisingly excellent television show. Um, and this, and this season, it looks like they're going to have, and I cannot, I feel so bad. I cannot remember the actor's name, but he played Trip on, um, I can't remember his name on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but he's going to be like the bachelor character of the show. And the show is set around, it's the behind the scenes on basically the bachelor. We we both watch it too. Yeah. It's so Amazing. good, isn't it? It's, it's so, so funny good. how they have such cross casting with Agents of Shield because like Rosalind was played by the actress who plays sort of over there. Like so, they do a lot of crossovers. It's, and, and I'm Const- looking just in the casting agents, I guess. Constance Zimmer and Shirley Appleby are so good on that show. So it it is unreal how good they are. Oh, so and I love that like we don't get a lot of messy female characters as much or we don't get and they're both like especially Sherry Appleby like I love how the first episode I was like this is what a feminist looks like now I'm going to destroy like 18 girls lives for profit like it's just <laughs> like it's so dark and but funny but like they're allowed to mess up and be like horrible people but they're really layered and it, it really is amazingly good. 
It is. Oh, love it. Love it. Love it. Anything else? Is that your last one, Unreal, or is there other one on your brain, Morgan? Um, yeah, I think that that's probably. Oh, Inside Amy Schumer has been really good this season as well. Yeah. They had a really funny um, sketch just last week about Amy Schumer, like goes into a uh, like a clothing store, and she she's like, oh, I just need this in like a size 12, I think, or she's like a size 10 or a size 12, and they were like. Oh, oh no. And so they take her into the plus size section. It's just like an empty field where like Lena Dunham is in like a rain tarp. And they, <laughs> <laughs> and they uh That's and how they, I feel about it. They give her they give her like they basically just take like the tarp that's off of like a, a, a stack of like firewood and they hand her that as like that's the one thing that she can buy there. <laughs> yep. And then and then she's like, wait, why is there a pretzel in this bag? And she's like, this is really offensive. And they're like, do, oh, do you want me to take the pretzel back? She's like, no, no, but I'll but th- just know that this is offensive. And then she like walks out eating the pretzel. <laughs> it's like, so, it so great. But like she has been, especially this season and uh, but last season was amazing. She had so many really funny and interesting skits on there last season. She did last season. She did a a whole skit that was um, taking off of Twelve Angry Men, but it was they all twelve of the angry men were debating whether or not she was like uh, yes. pretty enough to be on television. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's such a such a funny show, and I'm I really appreciate that she's like not afraid to go places that are like political. She had a whole sketch about um about gun control this season in one of the episodes where they're like basically just like selling guns off of like a QVC kind of uh, network. Well, which is literal because they literally do have a gun TV is coming if it's not already started. And I'm like that seems like a parody, but it's not even that far from one. That's how scary it can be. Oh, and I realized I have another one. Um, Samantha was a full Samantha B. Samantha B. Oh, Samantha B. Oh, I love her. Like, She's amazing. Excellent this season. I mean, I feel like um, she is doing something very similar to John Oliver. Yeah, okay. I've been obsessed with John Oliver uh, since he 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 went on, and he does a lot a, a little bit more long form pieces than she does. She doesn't have the amount of time because he's on HBO. Of course. Uh, but she does something very similar. And she did. Uh, she also did one of my favorite ones uh, recently that she did was about gun control, where she was trying to get the costume for like a mascot about gun safety. It was like a, a an eagle mascot costume. And as she's going along trying to get this costume, which turns out to be extremely difficult, she just keeps on picking up guns. She was like, oh, I got so aggravated that I couldn't get the costume. So then I went out and I bought another gun. And like at the and she like has like just her hands full of guns, but she could never get her hands on the costume. Yeah, she did a great one last week. I think about like crisis pregnancy centers, and like mm. she had Pat Oswalt come in and pretend to be like it was as if he were hosting a show about the secrets of magic and misdirection. It was just very funny, and like the smoke machine wouldn't work, oh. and then they cut with real interviews with people. It was How very Pat clever. Oswalt doing? I'm worried about him now. <laughs> but, I know I, that um, was like the first thing I saw when I, uh, yeah. when I saw him on there. I was like, I was like, oh. Poor Patton I know. She's amazing. I love that she comes out and she's just very – she's direct and she's blunt. And you would think that she's the first – one of the first women in, in late night right now and the only one. I mean I, I think of Chelsea Handler sometimes, but this is a very different format show because it's very comedy-based. And she's just rocking all over the place. It's very much like a like a punk rock performance almost, even with the deep issues she dives into. But it's just an amazingly refreshing style. So I agree on that one too. Yeah, no, she is not holding back anything, and I love it. Absolutely amazing. I really agree on everything. We pretty much recommended stuff we all already love. Now you know why we are friends. <laughs> why, 
Why isn't everybody else watching all these things? I know. Mark, they should be. Maybe they're too female, like the Nancy Drew Crazy Ex Girlfriend. You need to. See? Yeah. All your friends are watching Crazy Ex Girlfriend. I will get into it. I like musicals and I love the romantic comedy tropes. I think it's funny when they point out, you know, if you did all these things that they do and stuff like, uh, say anything, you'd just get arrested for stalking. Like, you would just get arrested for stalking. Like, let's just be honest with ourselves, or love actually. <laughs> it's been just so, so wonderful having you and having this conversation, this sometimes meandering, sometimes focused conversation <laughs> we've had on women in TV, on the endings, on all the things that are wonderful and terrible about all the shows that are happening right now. Anything else you'd like our uh, our our listeners to know about? Uh, anything you have coming up? Uh, we're going to, of course, link your podcast and, and to your um, author page on Buddy TV. But. Uh, yeah, no, uh, just you can follow me on Twitter. I'm always talking about random things on there, um, whether it's being angry about the CBS notes that uh, Nancy Drew was too female or uh, talking about what I ate for lunch that day. So you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Mojotastic. That's M-O-J-O-T-A-S-T-I-C. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks again to Morgan Glennon, who you can find on BuddyTV.com, on Twitter at Mojotastic, and you can hear her on a few podcasts on LegendsOfTomorrowPodcast.com and SupergirlRadio.com. We found our music in YouTube's royalty-free music section. It's A Long Cold by Riot. Be sure to check out more of their lovely atmospheric tracks. If you want to learn more about us, you can always see what we're up to at legendarywomen.org. What we're writing about at our Medium collection at medium.com slash legendary-women, and other things we're passionate about on Twitter at legendarywomen, Facebook at facebook.com slash legendarywomen, and Tumblr at legendarywomen.tumblr.com. We believe that every woman deserves to be legendary. If you think so too, and if you love what we do, be sure to find us and like, follow, subscribe. Thanks so much for listening, and stay tuned for our next episode on SoundCloud and iTunes next month.